Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is the Relunchables podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, and each episode we'll be breaking down another 90s, early 2000s kids movie. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. This is a bonus episode in which I bring on one of the stars of Johnny Tsunami, Zach Bostrom, who plays the role of the bully Brett. If you love these 90s, early 2000s movies like I do, please leave us a rating or review. Five stars only. I hate self-promotion as much as the next, but it really helps spread the word about the podcast and allows us to continue to bring on some incredible guests like Zach Bostrom. So let's get into my interview with Zach Bostrom. And just because I love hearing it, let's play the Disney Channel original movie, Intro Music. We are now joined by one of the stars of Johnny Tsunami, Zach Bostrom, who played the role of Brett. Zach, thank you so much for joining the Relunchables podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Before we get into Johnny Tsunami, I want to go even further back. And how did you get started acting as a kid? Uh, okay. Uh, well, let's see. My mom put me into one of those little baby pageant type things when I was real little. And uh, I won. And one of the judges says... He's got a great look. You should look into print. So that kind of started the whole, you know, snowball effect. My mom looked for a modeling agent. I started doing print work. Uh, one day on a print set, somebody was like, hey, you know, he's got a good personality too. You should look into doing commercials. And at that time, everything was kind of all inclusive when it came to getting an agent or manager where they handled pretty much everything from voiceovers to commercials to theatrical. So once I booked myself a commercial agent, uh, I also had a theatrical agent. And that's kind of how it all snowballed into something more. You know, the first thing I did was uh, about five years old, uh, fame with Janet Jackson at the time. And then it was just... You know, all those great oldie shows of Full House and Who's the Boss and all the daytime soaps and everything like that. Wow. Were you growing up in L.A. at the time? I was. I'm a third generation Californian. So. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. What age did you get started acting? Um, so five was the first gig I had. Um, so I would say that I was vested with SAG, I think, when I was about two wow yeah so. oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> i you know i'm thinking that's there's probably a record for probably getting your sad card younger than that but that's that's pretty impressive sure. yeah it just kind of all fell into the right place i mean when it, when i was a little guy um i had basically toehead blonde hair and blue eyes and you know that was the kind of all-american look that every print and commercial was looking for at the time so you know i just really capitalized on that and came in, came in at the right time. At that age, did you even realize like what you were doing on the set? Was it more just like a playtime? Did you understand the concept of what you're acting and you're part of a production and this thing's going to be used for either, you know, commercial purposes or whatever it may be? 
Not at all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what age I started to kind of figure that out. But yeah, for the most part, it was just playtime. You know, I knew there was, uh, you know, it was very clear that there was a certain sort of attitude and discipline I was supposed to have on set, you know, uh, that it wasn't playtime, um, even though it was fun. And, you know, a lot of the other actors or actresses or people of the crew would try and make it fun because, I mean, let's face it, when you're a little one, your attention span isn't all that great. So they've got to do something Otherwise, you know, you become stir crazy from sitting on set for 12 hours out of the day, you know. Um, but yeah, I think a little later on, I started to realize what it was and I started to kind of enjoy the craft of it and enjoy, you know, playing different characters and, and all the different environments and travel and people you got to meet. And that aspect of it really kind of started to click before it was like, oh, I'm doing a commercial for, you know, Honda or this or that, you know. So. Yeah. What was your childhood like? I'm curious, you know, because you're probably bouncing in and out of school, probably had like a tutor on set, probably. Were you kind of living two different lifestyles? You know, was it easy making friends? Was it difficult? Were, you know, friends, you know, jealous of what you were doing on the side? What kind of dynamic was that? Well, up until about third grade, I was in normal school. Um, at the time, the, the school district I was in was able to do a type of independent study. So anytime that I book something, whether it was a couple days or a week or whatever, they would go ahead and bundle everything together and then the onset teacher would tutor. Uh, the downside of that is obviously, yeah, you don't get as much interaction with the kids and you're constantly in and out. So and just because there's a lesson plan doesn't mean that the teacher 100% follows that, you know, they're, they're teaching other things or they sidetrack and divert into something and miss that kind of stuff. Uh, and then once I moved to LA, LA County at the time actually didn't do independent study like Orange County did. So I was forced to either do private school or homeschooling. And so my mom found this really great homeschool program that works specifically with uh, Olympic hopefuls and actors and actresses, basically any youth that was looking into something that required a lot of their time, but obviously still wanted to pursue school. And it was linked up with one of the local colleges in Northridge. And so all of our teachers were either professors from the college or professors from other areas. And they would hold meetings once a week if you wanted to go to the college campus and do like your science, like your chemistry and stuff like that once you got into high school. Uh, but otherwise it was all done, you know, curriculum wise at home and you would just kind of send it in on a, on a monthly basis. And there you go. Wow. I couldn't yeah. imagine that's, you know, when you were growing up, did you just see that as normal? Was, you know, acting something that you were just super passionate about and it was just sort of whatever it takes mentality? Or were you kind of, you know, jealous of the kids going and having a normal, you know, childhood and education? You know, I, it, I, it's a mixed bag, I would say. You know, the, the beautiful part is even though I was acting, it allowed me to do a lot of other stuff as far as traveling and things like that. Also, I was really big into soccer and pretty much until I reached high school, I was undecided whether or not I was going to pursue like a professional soccer career or if I was going to go into acting. So I was playing club soccer and, you know, most club sports are a mix of guys from or gals from all different, you know, schools. So all those guys I got to know, and then they would invite me to things like their parties and stuff like that. And I would get to meet all of their friends. So in some ways I feel like I got a little bit more of, um, I guess the high school life and stuff from that kind of aspect of homeschooling. 
versus being tied down to one school because I went to all of their school dances. I went to all of their football games. You know what I mean? I kind of had a circle of friends that was of five and six different high schools and, and junior high schools. So I was able to do all of those events with them just through different schools that weren't necessarily mine. Hmm. And it seems like club soccer played a big part of your life and giving you that opportunity as an outlet to kind of be part of a team and, you know, interact with people your own age and kind of maybe let loose a little bit. Oh, most definitely. You know, it kept me a lot more grounded with, you know, just people my own age instead of, you know, because when you're on set, I mean, even when you're 10 years old or whatever, you realize that there's a different mentality on set and you try and mimic that. Even if you're not really trying to, you kind of bring that part of yourself onto the set. So then when you get to go play sports or get to go hang out with the kids and play roller hockey or whatever it is you're doing or video games, yeah, you get to be an actual 10-year-old kid and just have fun. So it was, it was a nice dynamic. So I'm sure my listeners will be a little confused that you didn't have a, you know, childhood experience quite, quite like bread and going to a school like Skyline Academy. So I'm sure no. they'll uh, appreciate that yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit more normal than that. <laughs> uh, moving on to, of course, why we have you on the Relunchables podcast, and that's to talk about Johnny Tsunami and your role as Brett. What do you remember about the casting process for that movie? And, you know, was skiing part of the audition? Uh, skiing was not part of the audition. Uh, I was asked if I could ski, um, but a little behind the scenes thing, most of the cast didn't know how to ski. So there were a lot of lessons and things like that that went on. In fact, uh, Kirsten ended up breaking her thumb uh, during the initial <laughs> spot because her ski pole, like the little handle kind of got caught and it tore at her as she fell down. So she had either a dislocated or a broken thumb during the entire rest of the shoot. So if you, you look closely, you can see how they always have a glove on or they have a long jacket to kind of cover that brace that she had to wear the whole time. But no, skiing was not, you know, because one, it was a Disney and also all of the kids were, you know, minors at the time other than myself. All the stunts and things like that were done by stunt doubles. Uh, since I was an adult, I, I could ski. I got to do a lot more of the stuff that, uh, you know, would have been done by a stunt double. But they, at certain things, they just didn't want a chance. Uh, so I had a stunt double as well. Uh, the interview process, I remember specifically the, uh, it was either the second or third callback uh, with the director, Steve Boyum. And uh, Brandon was in there as Johnny. Um, and they were just kind of looking for chemistry. And I guess... Uh, Mr. Boyum told me later that Brett was one of the last characters found because they couldn't find a good mix with Brandon where you liked the guy, but you also hated the guy at the same time. And you were, you know, it looked like somebody that was physically intimidating to Brandon, but not so much so that it was like, oh, wow, they cast a 30 year old as, you know, the <laughs> skyline guy, you know? So it was that, it was that interesting balance. And Brandon and I clicked. I mean, we were buds on set. We hung out afterward. Anytime we found a, a premiere that we went to, it, it just kind of naturally gelled with us. I know it was supposed to be set in Vermont, but it was actually shot in Utah, I believe. What was yeah. it like spending time in Utah? It was great. I mean, this was right before the Olympics hit, so the whole town was under construction. I loved it. It was a great city. Uh, again, being 18, I was able to explore a lot more. I went out with the adults. We went to a jazz game. Uh, during my days off, I was able to end up skiing on the slopes all the time. Uh, a lot of the crew members' kids were there, so... You know, Disney had all of these great demo things from Rossignol and Spider and all these. I mean, they had a truck of just demo equipment. And they were like, yeah, just take it out on the slope. Just don't get injured, please. <laughs> you know, and so basically you had the whole half side of 
Brighton or Alta or Snowbird or one of those places to just ski on your own because we shut it down because they were filming in another area. So, I mean, as far as how cool it was to be filming there, you know, the powder, if you've ever skied there, is unlike anywhere else. So it was a treat. (laughs) When I think of Disney Channel villains, there's sort of two images that pop in my head. One is, of course, yourself as Brett, and the other is Sam Horgan as Val and Brink. I think those two guys Uh really stand out. I don't know how familiar you were with Brink. I know you were a little older at the time. But when I think about those two roles specifically, I think it's really tough to play that because you can't be too one-sided where you're just a complete, you know, douchebag for lack of a better word, where you kind of of have to be somewhat empathetic or, you know, the audience is able to see, you know, what your intentions are, what you may be going through. Um, I'm curious, how did you approach that role when you first read the script? Um, Well, there were some changes from what was aired and then what the original script was. Uh, one of the things is, you know, Brett as a character had more of an arc. At the end, you'll actually see if you watch into the very end part of the credits, you'll actually see me at Johnny's party, which kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's not really explained. But my character comes along at the end after the race and I come to the party and apologize and we hmm. kind of make amends and talk about this whole why I want to rematch. Like, you know, you're not getting off that easy. So the script that I had actually kind of gave that little arc. So it wasn't just, you know, I'm a villain the whole time, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. You know, you can see there's a little bit of humanity. He's a little, you know, he's been trapped up in his own bubble, you know, as top dog forever at this school and kind of idolized. And it's, you know, made him this kind of egotistical jerk. Yeah. I think that would have been a great scene to see. I'm glad you shed some light there because I think that even that little bit of redemption, I think would have, at least for the audience, looked at you in a better light. Yeah, and I, I, you know, you never know why a scene is cut. You never know if it's yeah. because of time or if they just, you know, felt that it was just unnecessary to the, the whole movie. Uh, you know, I never really did actually ask uh, anyone <laughs> when I ran into them, like, why, why didn't we cut that? But it was always interesting because every once in a while you would get a fan when we were doing things going, okay, I saw you at the party. What in the world was that all about? Like, you, why were you there? And it's like, oh, okay, you caught that. Cool. I don't know if that outdoor party is a good idea and you know in Vermont or Utah in the middle of the winter time probably not the best idea they should have moved that inside to be honest but uh (laughs) when that movie eventually came out I'm curious I know you've been acting for a while at that point did you see the reception change were more people coming up to you did people spot you on the street how was that like after the film was released on Disney Channel yeah uh, there was definitely obviously a huge surge in uh people recognizing me um you know probably as much if not more than when I did a few things when I was younger uh when I was doing like Harry and the Hendersons and stuff that that got me recognized a lot but the the the, the cool thing about Johnny Tsunami is even now people kind of do a double take <laughs> or the it'll get mentioned somewhere and you know since it was such a huge age range that really captured people with Johnny Tsunami because it had that sports aspect of it or if you happen to have a younger or older sibling that did watch it, you remembered it. So it gets mentioned with different friends or different people. And they're like, oh, my God, my sister was insanely, like, in love with you. Or, you know, there's just this kind of like, yeah, I remember that movie. I loved it, you know. So uh, the, the reception was really cool. It, it's always funny because, you know, people, when you're the bad guy, people are just like, oh, you know, he must be a real jerk and real person. He didn't have to act about it. And then, you know. 
uh, ho hopefully I don't come across that way <laughs> when they meet me. Um, so, but you know, the younger kids don't know that. So they're just kind of like, they just look from afar and point or whatnot, you know? I have to say, this is a bit disappointing. I really wanted you to be a complete asshole on the podcast and really come across like your character and I can't help but uh, like you here. So, you know, this might be an act. I don't know. Last part of this is specifically about just playing a bully. Do you find it difficult to play that type of role? Because I know for kids like myself watching it at that age, we don't even know what we're watching on the screen. We don't really know that these are actors. We just see someone and we think, okay, this is how they are in real life. And yeah. I'm curious if, you know, you had a lot of, you know, maybe young kids at the time who maybe didn't have the best feelings towards you on the street or, you know, I think Sam Horgan is a good example playing Val and, you know, he's had some problems. I don't want to get too much in his life, but he's had some issues growing up. And I always wonder whether playing a role like that sort of contributes to an actor's downfall when they're always kind of seen in a, in a negative light. You know, I, that, that kind of typecasting I can totally see. I mean, you see it with, uh, with a bunch of different actors and actresses that play one role and it, it just sticks like gum to them. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I had that so much with Johnny Tsunami. I mean, I definitely had, like we talked about, a reception of certain kids of a certain age were intimidated or scared to come up with, you know, and get an autograph or talk to me. Um, Disney did this kind of tour with Youngstown and Brink and a bunch of the other Disney Channel original places. And we went to Irvine and we went to a bunch of different other areas to sign. And we had this huge like Johnny Tsunami kind of like stand up thing with a big <laughs> wave where the kids could get on, you know, the surfboard, uh, which was really kind of cool for them. Uh, and I got to sign and Brandon was there and, uh, you know, certain kids are just like, I don't want a picture with him, you know, and then the parents would talk to me a little bit and they would see that it's like, oh, he's not really yeah. that character, you know, but you know, again, for the age demographic that's watching it, it's hard to sometimes differentiate, but I never had any bad experiences from fans characterizing me as a villain and then wanting to take it out on me elsewhere. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if, if Brett was just, you know, he, he wasn't, as mean or if he was just kind of douchey enough to toe the line that was like oh that guy's a jerk but you know whatever he's just pompous like he's not really a bad guy you know um but yeah I, I can't say that I had any experiences that just kind of haunted me with that or came across it in, in a negative way it was almost uh more amusing kind of stuff with with the little ones sometimes like you're the boogeyman or something you're like <laughs> I'm really not I promise like <laughs> You know, we have seen so many child actors kind of burn out by their 20s. And we had Ches Starbuck on who played the main role in the 13th year, another Disney Channel original movie. And he talked about handling that fame at a young age. And he kind of wanted to get out of the business at that point after experiencing that. And I'm curious, what was that like for you handling the fame, the money that comes with it at such a young age? You know, uh, money-wise, mostly my mom and managers and things took care of that aspect of it. So for me, it was just more about the acting and and thankfully with soccer and things like that and, and mostly friends outside of the business. I was grounded outside of the business when it came to family and friends instead of, you know, acting as is my life and all my friends are only actors and actresses. Um, I had a different sort of, I kind of had like a dual thing going on where it was like work is over here and then my real life is over here. And um, yeah, I don't think, I, I just didn't, I didn't see, 
I always loved acting. I loved everything about being on set and the people and things like that, that I never really reached a point of burnout. I mean, I think every actor or actress will come across and be like, man, am I doing the right thing? Especially when you've had a down period or there's a slump, you know, Johnny Tsunami was a great high and I rode that high for a while. And then the actor's strike hit and the writer's strike hit. And then that kind of basically like negated that role. And then it was hunting for, a new agency and you know there's always some sort of challenge that's going to kind of come and go when it comes to the business or any business that you are passionate about and it's just a matter of kind of believing in yourself and looking back at your past deeds and going okay well you know there's highs and lows and i just got to ride through that and and you know since it's something i'm so passionate i get so much joy out of i don't want to just get rid of it and move on um you know i mean like any job, there's highs and lows. And like any job, there's goods and bads. You know, you're going to have sometimes fans that are rude to you. Sometimes you're going to have moments that you want to just enjoy or interrupted because of something. And that's, that's just part of it. Um, you know, just like you're going to be, you know, penny pension for money, or you might have to go and, you know, I mean, there's been this backlash as well about actors holding down like regular jobs. And it's like, well... <laughs> 90% of us have other J jobs, like, because we're not rolling from project to project to project. Um, you know, especially as the industry has changed, you know, we're all trying to, to scramble to adapt to how the industry has changed, whether it's filming elsewhere in another state, you know, or just more things or more virtual when it comes to auditions and stuff like that. It's just, it's ever changing and ever growing and you've got to keep evolving with it. Otherwise you're going to get left behind. Sure, sure. And we've seen that even now during the coronavirus and kind of all the production is halted. And it's yeah, really definitely the only the only thing you could do right now is, you know, get things in development and start writing. You know, now's a great time to write, but nothing, nothing shooting, obviously. Uh, I wonder what when you get the biggest high from as an actor, is it going to the audition? Is it finding out you got the part? Is it finally showing up on set and acting? Where do you where do you find that biggest high that keeps you coming back to it? Uh, definitely not the audition process <laughs> and definitely not finding out you got the role because even when you got the role, if you ask any actor or actress, they'll tell you until you're on set and filming the first day. And even then it's not a guarantee that you actually have that role booked down into place. You know, you hear horror stories about people at a table read getting let go or, you know, you filming the first day and then the, the, you know, the plug gets pulled and the whole shoot just stops and you're like, well, no, this is my... <laughs> You know, uh, I've had a couple of those myself or, you know, you get placed on a bill and you're like, yes, I'm so ready for this. And then you just never hear back because that's the industry. You don't always get that kind of, uh, we decided to go a different way or, you know, thank you. Like we, we enjoyed it. Maybe the next time you just don't hear sometimes. And then you're just kind of like, well, I guess, you know, the shoot date was yesterday to start. I guess <laughs> I'm not working on this. Um, but I think for me, the biggest high is definitely on set. Um, you know, when, when you start to actually get to interact with everyone and not just other actors and actresses, but, you know, working with the crew, you know, that kind of cohesiveness with everyone on set, you know, everybody's got their job and everyone's doing their job to make the other person also look good, you know, and that kind of team mentality is really fun. Um, you know, there's just so much creative energy in different areas all being thrown out there. That's, that's really cool. Um, 
the table reads are always really fun, you know, getting to meet people for the first time and just kind of hearing the script aloud other than inside your head. Um, let's see, I really enjoy, and this is gonna sound kind of weird, but I really enjoy like the final, final casting process when it comes to certain things, when you will do like a, a test footage of certain things. Um, and you'll actually get to work with potential other actors or actresses or people who have been cast and you're, you know, on a set environment and you're doing your test footage and you, you kind of get to live and get a little idea of, ooh, this is what it could be like. You know, that kind of just sparks you to really want to perform and really invest you into, I want this project so bad, like even more than I wanted it before. Now I really get to see like, I'm in costume, I'm on set with these people, like this is going to be cool. You're so close to the finish line there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's just like, can I close it out? You know, and after a while, you get used to the fact that it's like, okay, you know, a lot of times when you don't book something, it's not on you. Yeah. Um, there are so many other aspects to it. It's not, it's most times it's not your talent, especially if you get up there to that final call. It's one little thing that, you know, one or two people will see and are like, well, I see it this way or I see it that way. Not necessarily like, well, why was he testing for us? He was crappy as an actor. You know, that's, that's <laughs> normally not how it is. I mean, every once in a while, but, you know, we all have our bad days. So. so when you go into an audition, I think that's the right attitude to have. You can't look at it as like, if you don't get it, you know, that's take it personally. But I think it's kind of hard to face re rejection in any sense, even when you kind of know it's not you. Have you built a sort of, you know, mental mechanism for yourself when you go into an audition? Do you just look at it? as throwing a dart at the board and maybe I get this one? Is it just an opportunity to show off your skills and act and perform? What kind of mindset do you have going out on audition? Um, you know, you can't lie to yourself and say that you just don't care and you're just gonna go in there and whatever, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, it's not on me, you know, because that's gonna obviously come across when you're, when you're you know, you, I care very deeply when I go into an audition. Um, but at the same token, once I'm done with that audition, I'm able to kind of just, for the most part, and not with every role, because some roles you really get invested in, you're like, oh, I could just see like how much fun this could be. But for the most part, you're like, look, I know that I did the best that I could. And if I get another opportunity to perform for them, I'm hoping that I will improve on that. But otherwise, maybe they'll consider me for the next project. Otherwise I need to just move on with something else. Otherwise you just kind of beat yourself up and you're just constantly in your own head about, Oh, well I could have done that. And there's not an actor or actress around that won't say that they don't go to the car after an audition and go, Oh, that one line, I should have read it that way. I, I, you know, and replay it at least six times as they drive home. But sooner or later, you just got to kind of let it go, you know, and you stop thinking about it. You either have, your other creative outlets or other outlets that you can, you know, lean on to kind of purge that, if you will, you know, so you're not just constantly nervous energy. Do you have any superstitions or a certain routine that you do when you audition? None that come to mind, but I'm sure like a good poker player or whatnot, <laughs> if somebody watched me, they would be like, okay, that's his tail, you know? Uh, but no, not, not that I can think of, you know, just like anyone else, I try and, you know, rehearse as much as I can but now only to a certain point you know I mean it also has to be fluid and you know you don't want to be locked down because inevitably you know the director or somebody is going to throw something at you and you know you have to react to that and if you're just locked in a pattern then that's not acting anymore you're just you know doing a reading um but yeah not that not that I can think of you know I, I just kind of 
zone out and do my own thing when it comes to sitting in the waiting room. I've, I've tried music. I've tried a bunch of other things. I'm just like, nah, it's too much of a hassle. Like I just read my script and remember certain things and just play around and just try and stay loose and use some of that nervous energy to the reading versus just letting it consume me. What's your rule about talking to other actors in the waiting room when you walk in and there's like 30 other people that look just like you? Oh, I could care less. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not going to go sit beside somebody and nuzzle <laughs> up next to them and start chatting with them because I know some people are very, you know, everybody has their different style when it comes to preparing. Some people don't like to talk. But if somebody talks to me, I'm glad to talk to them as well. It's not, uh, it's not like, no, you're the enemy. Like, no, no. Um, but, I, I, I mean, they're... they're there are those that will do that to try and psychologically get you out of, you know, focusing on the script or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's rare, rare of that, but it's, uh, it is out there, but for the most part, it's a, a fairly nice community that, you know, if you were to say, Hey, to somebody or good luck, you're going to receive that same sort of, you know, reciprocation. That's good to hear. I think it's just in my mind that these, you know, these crazy audition stories, I'm sure they're out there, but I'm glad that oh, you are. haven't to experience them. <laughs> I, I have, I have, but they're not, they're the oddity, not the norm. Gotcha. You know? <laughs> uh, I want to get back to Johnny Tsunami and with the advent of Disney plus and all these movies kind of being unlocked out of the vault and everyone could stream them in their own homes. Have you seen a resurgence for these films? Have you gone back to watch Johnny Tsunami recently? Yeah, uh, actually with uh, a bunch of my cousins, they, they saw that it was online and watched it and then, you know, sent me obviously like pictures and clips or whatnot going, guess what I'm watching right now? And there's been a, a resurgent when it comes to people contacting me on like Instagram or posting things on Instagram. Like, <laughs> oh, I totally remember this movie, which gets me all riled up. I love it. I think it's great. Um, uh, it, it's yeah it's, it's really cool to see all those things kind of unlock from the vault because without that they're kind of lost you know yeah. they're they're not going to just go back into recirculation on the tv they're they're kind of past their prime but for you know have all of those great 90s you know that that was a special kind of era when it came to disney with their their television programs their movies of the week like that you know Oh, yeah. I think we I think our generation definitely grew up in like the peak of children's programming that, you know, 90s, early 2000s. And I think a generation of kids who grew up on it are now having kids of their own. And I hope the cycle just continues and these movies just keep getting passed down. Yeah, it is. It is the beauty of these streaming services like this. You know, you get a lot of movies that unless you own the VHS of it or somehow got a DVD when it was first printed, there's no other way to see those. But now, you know, they get recycled back out and you can find all sorts of old, old shows or old films that were like, oh, I remember this. Like, I'm going to reintroduce it or it becomes a cult classic, you know, uh, way after the fact. Uh, the last question I had for you, and I'd be remiss if I had you on and not talking about uh, your time on the It's Gary Shandling show, which of uh, course, I know it was really <laughs> taking you back here, but what do you, do you yeah. have any memories of the late Gary Shandling and working with him? Uh, I remember Sheena Easton was on the show and she proposed to me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Gary was awesome. Uh, I also, when I was working on the Gary Shandling show, Molly Cheek, who was my mom on Harry and the Hendersons was also there. She had a recurring or full-time role on the show. I can't remember which, but she was there. So it felt like home and Gary was super nice, really funny. Um, he, he went out of his way to, you know, to talk with me and hang out with me, make sure I was comfortable on set. You know, uh, it, it was a good environment. Uh, you know, I, 
I don't remember any specifics, unfortunately, with Gary, unfortunately, uh, just because I remember hanging around Molly so much because she was yeah. familiar to me. Um, but uh, I do remember that he was, he was incredibly nice. So, and it was, it was a fun show. It was a live show. So, you know, that's a, another product that tends to be non-existent anymore is, is having a show that's, that's filmed live. So we did, I, I do remember that he was very kind when it came to, because we did two shows and I was younger, the second show was much later. So mm -hmm. it put a little bit of pressure when it came to one wrapping up quickly because being a minor, I had to be out of there by a certain time, but also just, was tired at that time you yeah. know being a kid so i do remember he was really cool and everyone on set was really cool about you know making sure that i was happy and comfortable and not too worn down and okay to do like a second live taping like that and stuff like that and, i mean i was jazzed up with the energy of everybody else being a live show there's a different sort of vibe oh, yeah. environment when it comes to a live show that's just uh really unique so it was it was fun yeah, that show was just so groundbreaking, you know, breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the audience. You know, we see that all yeah. the time now on TV and movies, but he kind of set the stage for what that was going to be. Uh, Zach, I'm sure my listeners would be curious as to what you're up to now. Are you still acting? Yeah, um, you know, obviously not at this exact moment with, uh, <laughs> with the lockdown. It's uh, pretty much uh, indefinite for quite a while. Um, the last couple of years, I've been on, on and off a couple of different fun shows uh, from Timeless to um, Code Black to uh, Training Day. And uh, I actually recently am now back and forth between Atlanta and L.A. because so much more is being done here in the South. Uh, but again, everything is just completely just halted for who knows how long. So like you said, it's a perfect time for other creative energy. You know, yeah. whether it comes to writing or collaborating with people online, I mean, that is the beauty of technology. Even though we have to stay far apart from each other, it's really easy to just email someone a script and start, you know, or doing a Zoom meeting and going, well, what do you think of this line? What do you think of that? And getting all these things in pre-production so that way when things open up, then there's, you know, this, this resurgence of all of us actors waiting, you know, <laughs> chomping at the bit. <laughs> Yeah, it's strange. I think this quarantine has oddly brought people together. I know I can only speak for myself, but I'm talking to family members and friends doing these Zoom meetings and, you know, buddies from college more than I ever had when I was, you know, free and could text them anytime I wanted and see them face to face. Yeah, yeah. And I think people have a lot more time for self-reflection now and, and getting into all those projects and things that they always wanted to do but never found the time to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as terrible as this time is in a global pandemic, I think, you know, looking on the bright side and looking at it for some people as a, as a reset is, is healthy and good. Uh, Zach, I just had five quick rapid fire questions if you're ready. Sure. <laughs> Are there any TV shows you're currently binging during this quarantine? Uh, yes. Let's see. Uh, Witcher, um, The Boys, and what was the other one that I've been binge watching? Oh, um, no finished that a long time ago uh, oh the mandalorian that's the uh, other one I, I sat through and binge watched all of those and i think i've watched witcher and mandalorian now twice so <laughs> <laughs> the mandalorian is so good i think they really hit the sweet spot i don't know much i don't i don't know how much market testing they did with baby yoda but uh it, it gets you every time i see him honestly i want him yeah. here in my apartment with me um yeah but uh, <laughs> uh next one uh skiing or snowboarding skiing <laughs> I learned skiing first. I can snowboard, but there's something about just bum rushing straight down a hill on a set of skis. It's just so much more exhilarating than a snowboard for me personally. Do you think actually Brett would have won in that race? What do you think is faster, skiing or snowboarding? 
Oh, skiing by far. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Especially with the head start that you get from pushing uh Brandon to the ground. You know, you definitely no, should he that, race. <laughs> that was that was he's got no balance, what can I say? Not to mention by the time he actually clipped in and everything else. <laughs> it was over. <laughs> it was gone. It was done. Uh, did you have a favorite Disney Channel original movie aside from Johnny Tsunami, of course? Uh, Brink was obviously a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. We got, to, we got to meet a lot of those guys because we were so close in our filming. So a lot of the stuff that we did with, you know, any of the events for signings and things, a lot of those guys would be there. So I would say probably Brink. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. It goes back and forth with Johnny Tsunami. I think those are regarded as the best too. Uh, are you a surfer yourself growing up in LA? Have you ever tried surfing? I have, you know, I've pretty much dabbled in all sports. Uh, surfing, you know, it, it's a little harder, a little more time consuming, especially if you don't live right on the beach. It's kind of funny if you ask most Southern Californian people, they'll be like, yeah, I get to the beach once or twice, even though the beach is like there all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I probably went skiing and boarding more, more often than I ever did uh, uh, surfing. But I have gone surfing and I do know how. It's just not a regular, it's not a pastime for me, unfortunately. Sure. Uh, last one, if Disney Plus approached you about possibly being in a Johnny Tsunami series for, you know, Disney Plus where Brett's maybe the headmaster himself at Skyline Academy, <laughs> would you sign up? Oh, hell yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. There's, you know, before, uh, after the, the success of Johnny Tsunami, there was talks of trying to do a Johnny Tsunami 2 uh, well before the Johnny Kapahala back on the board came up. Uh, but unfortunately, Doug and Ann couldn't secure the rights. They were the writers. They couldn't secure the rights to actual Johnny Tsunami. And that went back and forth for so long. And that's why there was such a break between the first Johnny Tsunami and the second and why the second Johnny Tsunami went a completely different direction in regards to going to a completely different sport and not having a whole lot of the characters return as well. Because uh, there was talks about, you know, there being a, a sequel and, and, you know, Brett and Johnny still going at it again and, you know, just all sorts of other possibilities that could be out there. Yeah, I have a lot of issues with that sequel, to be honest. I try to just, I, I think of Johnny Tsunami as a standalone movie. I don't like that they recast Lee Thompson Young and Sam's character. Yeah. I think they should have just left it alone. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for coming on the Relunchables podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Anytime. I would like to thank my guest, Zach Bostrom, for coming on the podcast. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review. Five stars only. Later this week, I'll be joined by Brandon Baker, who plays the iconic Johnny Kapahala. If you have any questions you would like me to ask him, please write in to therelunchables at gmail.com. I look forward to reading your questions. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.